to Woodside Church Podcast. You know, we're going to carry on with this, with the series in Samuel this morning. But before I start, I did have a picture, which I didn't bring to the front earlier on because I didn't want to be a Richard Clement show. So I just, but I want to bring it because actually it's really re- relevant to what I'm preaching on this morning. And I saw a tyre. Just the outside part of the tyre. The tyre that you just go and say, can I have one of those tyres? And they bring it down and they're going to put it on your car. So it's not yet on the wheel. It's just a tyre. And I saw a tyre on its own. And I thought, that tyre on its own cannot achieve anything. It needs the centre bit. It needs the hub where it gets glued around. And then it needs air and put in pressurised air into that tyre. And once it has those things, it can complete its function, which is to go from A to B and to serve somebody in, the, in, in that journey. And you know what? That's like us in our Christian life. We need God at the centre. Without God at the centre, we're not going anywhere. It's just us trying, Okay. God at the centre. We also need another element, which is really, really important, and that is the Holy Spirit, the air in the tyres. If we haven't got the Holy Spirit, that makes our journey so much harder. We're going to feel every single bump along the way. We might even not get to our destination. But actually, the Holy Spirit empowers us. It fills us and sends us to complete the work that God has called us to do. So... As it happens, I'm preaching kind of a little bit about this, but I wanted to bring it anyway because it's really important. God at the centre, the Holy Spirit living in our lives so that we can do, carry out the journey that God has called us to do. So, we're gonna, I'm going to invite Jerry. Jerry, come up. Jerry's going to read to us 1 Samuel 8, which is the next chapter in our Samuel, Samuel course. Well done, Jerry. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. 
He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we we will be like all the other nations, for the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. Thank you, Jerry. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here amongst us this morning. Jesus, we worship you as King. Father, we love you. Come and open our hearts as we listen to your word. I just pray that anything within this that is relevant to us, that you would plant it in our hearts and it would bear fruit, Father, the word of God. So, Father, we invite you. Come and fill this place by your presence. Fill us afresh. I pray and give us hearts and ears. Ears that are open, hearts that are are soft and pliable, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Trading the king for a king. Have you ever traded in something great for something far inferior? Few people, I'm sure you have. For me, Gaynor and myself, we had... We used to go away on holidays to Swanage in Dorset, and we used to love going there. We had the privilege, there was a couple in our church, we went to a church in Wimbledon, who were very wealthy, and they owned two houses. And one of those houses was a five-bedroom house in Dorset. Dorset. Um, And they lent it out to young families in the church free of charge. It was near Shell Bay, if any of you know that area. Beautiful area of the country. And we used to be able to go down there and enjoy our holidays. And at five o'clock every evening, a family of badgers used to walk into the garden and out the back of the garden. And being Londoners, this was incredible. The only time we ever saw animals were on roadkill on the side of the road. <laughs> so this was, this was amazing. Um, yeah, so we used to love those holidays. And then one year, Gaynor and I said, you know what we'll do? We're a little bit financially better now. Let's leave it open for somebody else to have a, a nice free holiday. And let's, let's go and have a holiday. So we uh, did some research and we decided that we were going to go to Devon, to a place called Widmouth Bay, where there was a holiday resort. And we looked it up and it sounded amazing. It had a football pitch. The kids were going to love it had a swimming pool, the kids were going to love it, and it had a farm, and of course, really nice accommodation. And we thought, this is the place, we're going to have a great time. Well, we set off, arrived on our first day, we thought we'd go and visit the farm, so we took the family along, we have four kids, for those of you who don't know, at that point they were all young, took them along to the farm, the farm consisted of a rabbit hutch. 
That was it. So we thought, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take the kids for the foot for a football to the football. So we went to the football pitch, which was in a one in three hill. You had to be a gladiator to play football on this pitch, I'm telling you. <laughs> so we thought, okay, this afternoon we'll, we'll go for a swim. So the pool, we went to the swimming pool, and some child had come along with fairy liquid, no joke, and poured it into the swimming pool, and it was green and bubbly. <laughs> it's true. So at the end of the day, we thought, oh, let's go home and let's just rest. And so we got into bed and the bed was so uncomfortable that Gaynor and I slept on the floor. <laughs> it's a true story. All right, we didn't stay for long. I think we gave it two days and we just, we're just going to go. This is just awful. Anyway, so that's it. So the grass isn't always greener. Be careful for what you wish for. So in the story we just had read out so well by Jerry, the people of Israel thought that having an earthly king was going to be better than having God as their king. A visible king who would be their judge and go out before them and fight their battles. Samuel was upset and spoke to God. And God basically said to him, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as they have done so many times before. But what I want you to do is I want you to chat to the people of Israel and I want you to tell them what an earthly king is going to be like for you. So he got them all together. He tells them what it's going to be like and it's not going to be great and actually um, they are better off with what they've got. But they don't listen. They're not interested. So they say... We still want an earthly king. So Samuel goes back to God and he says, they still want an earthly king. And he says, okay, give them what they want. But what they want was not going to be good for them. You see, God was their king. And he had been their king from the beginning. And he was going to be their king to the end. And he was already fighting their battles for them. And his judgments were always merciful. God's analysis of the situation was clear. They were rejecting him. They were rejecting the living God who loved them, had heard their cries while they were in captivity, had sent all those plagues to get the Pharaoh to release them. He'd taken them through a a, a sea, holding it all back. He'd fed them on quail, water from rocks. He'd led them from the very front, sometimes as a pillar of a cloud and sometimes as a pillar of fire. He had been there for them. But he also knew that having an earthly king was not going to be great for his people and will put them into a form of slavery that they weren't currently under and ungodly living. In Deuteronomy 17, God says, They could have a king if they wanted a king, but he prescribes the type of king that they should have, one that doesn't enslave them, one that follows his decrees and loves him. The character of the king is so important. But we all know from history that very few kings in the Old Testament were good kings. And actually Saul became king, and he wasn't a good king. And then David came along, started well, and then things didn't go so well there as he fell into sin. So God, as usual, was completely right. Having an earthly king is not the answer. Having a heavenly king 
is the answer. It's easy and logical to understand from this story why the elders of Israel had asked Samuel for a king. Samuel's sons were not walking in their father's ways. They were taking bribes, obtaining dishonest gains, perverting the course of justice. And Samuel was getting old and he wasn't going to be around for very much longer. So you can see from an earthly point of view what it was that they were concerned about. But having an earthly king was not the answer. It was a man-made strategy where they tried to come up with the solutions themselves. And how many of us can relate to that? Man-made strategies where we try to come up with the solutions ourselves. It won't work. God has the answers. Sometimes we need to be patient, ask and wait and see what God's strategy is because that's the strategy that will work. Why did the people of Israel want to have a king like the other nations? Well, who wants to be different from those around them? Who wants to stick out like a sore thumb? We all have a tendency to want to blend into our surroundings. Uh, We don't want to become marginalised. We all want to be accepted and we all want to be loved. You know what, we want to be one of the boys or one of the girls. We don't want people to be talking about us behind our backs because we are different. We want an easy life, keeping our heads below the parapet. Now, when I was in, our, when I was in, in the RAF, I lived in Germany, and there was 3,000 people at a base called RAF Larbrook, and there were seven Christians in 3,000. And I was one of those guys. And we were completely different to those around us. Yes, people joked about us because we did stick out like sore thumbs. But you know, those days were the most powerful, blessed days of my Christian life, where I saw my friends become Christians. Persecution. How often do you hear that mentioned at the pulpit these days? Persecution. Sacrifice. And putting God first have amazing effect on salvations. All you have to do is to look at nations like China to see that this is true. You see, we are called to be different and we should expect persecution. I've heard a couple of people say fairly recently, I'm not getting persecuted in my life. Am I doing something wrong? I understand what they're saying because we are supposed to be different, stand out different from those around us. Matthew 5.10 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, God has called us out of the world. He's called us to be salt and light in this fallen generation. He wants us to come under his kingship. He wants to be king of our lives. 
The Israelites wanted a king who could be seen fighting their battles, one that they could show their enemies, not an invisible God who they had to put their faith in. They wanted systems in place. They wanted royal decrees. They wanted an established government. They wanted bureaucracy, a throne that was passed down from kings to their descendants, just like all the other nations. But God warned them of the consequences that would happen if they had an earthly king leading them. A king would take their sons and conscript them in his armies to protect him and fight his battles. Others would work his fields to produce a harvest that would benefit the king. He would take their daughters and make them his cooks. He would take the very best of their land, the best of their vineyards, the best of their olive groves, and give them to his attendants. A fifth of their produce he would give to his officials. The very best of the animals that he has he would give to others. But the people of Israel rejected the concerns and still demanded an earthly king. So what happens when Jesus isn't the king of our lives? We've heard the consequences of not having God as the king of our lives. In essence, we become enslaved to our earthly king. Whatever it is, that is the king of our lives. Kingship can take many forms in our lives. And some of you have experienced these things. And I'm sure that you would go, amen to it. But addiction to drugs can become a king of our lives. Having worked with a lot of heroin addicts in the past, I know the most important thing of their day is to get their next lot of heroin. It becomes their king. Life revolves around their need to feed their habit, the king of their life. Alcohol is another one. For some people, alcohol is the king of their lives. Sex for others, food for others, eating as much as they can, spending money for others. Worry and anxiety can become a king of our lives. Our jobs, our careers can take over and become king of our lives. Apparently t-shirts can become king of our lives. <laughs> it's a reference to the preach last week for those who weren't here. <laughs> Just in case you think, what? <laughs> TV, sports teams, personal sporting activities, money, high living. Our houses can become king of our lives. And celebrities, and the list goes on. But none of these, if they are a king of our lives, will bless us or further our relationship with God and our Father. See, God wants to have us have no other God before him. Number one commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. So the question this morning is, who is king of your life, of my life? Is it a person? Is it the church? Is it ourselves? Is it one of those long list of things that I've read out? Are they king of our lives? 
Or is it Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? So what does coming under the kingship of a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, look like? Bear with me a second. It looks like giving God the top place in our life. And I say that because that's not our wife or our husband or our boyfriend or our girlfriend or all the other things. God is the most important or God should be the most important person in our life. It means laying down our lives to follow him. It means being imitators of Christ Jesus. It means spending time with God, meeting with him regularly in a place where there are no distractions. It means living a holy life. It means sacrificially doing God what God wants us to do. And it's so much more. How did we get to know our parents? How do we get to know our children? How do we get to know our wife or our husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your best friend? How do you get to know them? By spending time with them, asking them questions, listening to their replies, walking and talking with them, watching how they deal with things. It's no different with God. He loves to meet with us. He is the true shepherd who cares for his flock. And he is a relational God. If we're going to see change in the world, then we need God to break in. He needs to break into us and he needs to break into our lives so that we can be instruments to bring about his kingdom. He's chosen to use us as part of his big plan. Listening to his voice, stepping out in faith, taking risks as we listen to him and acting on his directions. This means spending time with him in his presence and seeking his will for our lives. A few months ago, Debbie De Silva came up here and brought a prophetic word about going into the mountain of God's presence. And from that position of relationship, God was going to do some incredible things. And one of those things that was mentioned was salvations. And I believe that is true. See, when God transforms us and makes us like his son, it's going to have an effect on those around us. It's got to. A castle on a hill. Earthly kings live in castles. As Christians, we believe that our king lives in us. That we are his temple. We are his castle. Where God lives. So where we go, God's kingdom goes with us. The church is not called to be a castle on a hill. Surrounded by a moat where we invite people to come into our castle and do what we do. The church is not called to be a place where we pull up the drawbridge and only let safe people enter. No, the church are called to go out of the castle and into the world 
with the full armour of God on and with God with us, living in us, fighting the battles for the streets and roads of Bedford, our nation and the nations, to take the good news out into our community. I was so saddened a couple of months ago when I looked out of the window, I was in the oak room and we were in a Bible study, sorry, we were in a prayer meeting and we were praying and I turned around and I looked out of the window and I saw people walking past the building and I just knew there's a big, big, big chance that none of those people would ever step into this church. And that really saddened me. Do you know that 98% of the people who attend church in the United Kingdom are middle class? 98%. Do you know that 48% of this nation is working class? In other words, there is a whole section of our community and our nation who do not get to hear the good news, the gospel. Unless we change the way we do church, they may never hear the good news. Do you know that Woodside Church was built here to reach the local community as well as the nations? This local community is predominantly working class. I know God loves the people of Putnam and Bedford and indeed the world. But God has clearly been speaking to Woodside over the past months. And one clear thread is that he wants us to change the way we do things. He's been speaking corporately and individually. And we need to spend time in God's presence, asking him what he wants us to do. Then praying for courage and his favour to rest on us so that we can serve him and see him break into the lives of those around us. This excites me. Jesus the perfect king. Placing your faith in Jesus is placing your faith in a holy God. The king who will not let you down. Who will not fail you. I love it that although the people of Israel rejected God in the story we've just had read, God did not reject them. You see, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is a God whose arms are always open, who forgives us time and time again. His door is never closed. He always has time for us, and he wants relationship with us. The prodigal son, some of you know that story, where the father just has his arms open, he runs towards his son, That is the God that we have who wants relationship with us, who loves us at the very deep core of who he is. And that is who we have as our Father, our King. James 4 verse 8, it says this, Come near to God and he will come near to you. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. David, when he wrote the psalm, some of that time he was on the run from this king Saul, who the people wanted as their king. He was running for his life. And in Psalm 18, David says this, The Lord is my rock 
my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He wasn't relying on a castle with walls. He wasn't relying on a moat or a high advantage point, but on an invisible God with whom he placed his trust and in which he found refuge. On the 6th of January, I'd been preparing for this talk. It was the first time I'd sat down and started reading 1 Samuel 8. I was upstairs in my room, and I felt God say to me, stop reading and and pray. So I put my Bible down, and I closed my eyes, and I saw a picture of the side of a mountain. There was a newly formed gentle spring that had come out of the side of the mountain. It was more oozing than flowing. And this spring was providing fresh, clear, running water to the small area around which it was flowing. There were pebbles on the side of this small area of the mountain, and the fresh water was oozing over them. I prayerfully considered the picture. The picture represented a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, which would take place, something very new and something very fresh, that would have an effect on people in their specific areas and in their small clusters. I felt the pebbles were people and refreshing was supernatural and its source was coming from within the mountain, from within God. This outflowing, oozing spring was going to affect the area around it in a positive and wonderful way as as God worked out his purposes and his will. At that point, a notification went off on my phone, literally at that point. And I sat there and I opened up the WhatsApp message that had been sent by a member of our community group. A scripture verse from Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, had just been posted. And it said this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I believe that God is doing a new thing in our community, our nation and nations. It's his work that he will do. Week after week, we've heard from God that he wants us to do things differently. So we need to spend time seeking his face to see if there is a part that he wants us to play as we seek to see what doing things differently looks like. I believe that God wants, to meet, wants us to meet with him regularly, daily, in a place where there are no distractions. Jesus sets example as he goes away to that quiet place and prays to the Father and then only does what he hears the Father say. In conclusion, our God is the same yesterday, today and forever. God wants us to have no other God before him, no other God before him. He wants to fight our battles, 
not us fight our battles on our own. He wants to fight our battles. He wants to have a relationship with us at a really deep level. Not a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Deep, personal, heart level knowledge of who he is. Individually and corporately, he wants that. He wants us to put our faith in him and our trust in him. The invisible, holy God not in any other person or object or thing. He wants to establish his kingdom on earth through us. And he wants us to be living lives that honour him, that are sacrificial, that bring honour to his name. So I just want to invite the musicians back again now. I just want to stop now and take some time for each of us to carry out an honest assessment, you don't need to tell anybody. This is a private moment between you and God. And assess where are we placed, God, where have we placed God in our lives? Listen to what God is saying to us individually and corporately this morning. And to confess to God if we have given something else, kingship, in our lives instead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.